You're listening to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. It is the second week of January, and the hot stove is still kind of ice cold. There's just a ton of talent still out there. So joining me to talk about that and a whole bunch of other stuff about this winter is MLB.com national reporter, AJ Casavell. AJ, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. AJ, you are in the studio with me. This is the first time since the very first episode of the show that I've actually had someone here face-to-face where I can actually look at someone and not like hear them you know, through a phone, from a cell phone, in a ballpark, wherever. So this, yeah. is, this is a big deal for me. Yeah, I flew all the way back from San Diego just to be here for this. Excellent. This I appreciate that. That's a total <laughs> lie, but I'm going to go with it. It's cool. Uh, I really was interested by something you wrote the other day about the National League West. And you, sorry, San Diego, sorry, Colorado. You only looked at the other three teams in the National League West, the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, and the Giants. Excuse me. And you wrote about how they are shaping up over the course of the offseason. And as I looked today, there were 348 comments on that article. Maybe about three of them weren't yelling at you. So I'm interested, how do you, you see the NOS shaping up? Because what you wrote is you kind of used the steam or war projections, which I, I totally am a big fan of. And what you came out with is that the Dodgers are still kind of ahead, even though their winter hasn't really been the best. Yeah, and I tried to make it clear in the in the story that this is just who's the favorite on paper, which which technically means nothing. And and I think the one key thing that I couldn't really write in the story, if I'm going by the steamer projections, is how much is the impact of a manager going to have? Because obviously Bruce Bochy on the Giants is is head and shoulders above almost anyone else in the majors, um, especially above two kind of younger managers. Uh, but I kind of came to the conclusion that the Dodgers, despite their losses, despite Zach Greinke, and despite the fact that they might ha- not have the same kind of star power in their lineup as as the Diamondbacks and the Giants, they're still the team to beat on paper because they're they're just the most complete team. If you look at the other two teams in the division, the, the Diamondbacks have some some kind of holes in their lineup outside of Goldschmidt and Pollock, and and their bullpen you'd expect it to regress a little bit. And with the Giants, their outfield. Even though they signed Denard Span, it's it doesn't project as well as 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 the other two outfields, and uh, and and they have some question marks in their bullpen too, even with their sign. I mean, in their starting rotation too, even with the signings. So, I mean, it's a toss up. You can't say one team's gonna win. Three and, teams in the mix. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I, I think you look at what people are saying. All oh, the Diamondbacks. Nobody can see me doing air quotes here except for you. Won the winter, right? Mm-hmm. Because they made the Shelby Miller trade and they got Zach Greinke, uh, and they have Paul Goldschmidt, who is probably the best player in that division. Uh, maybe Buster Posey, you know, kind of back and forth. But I think when you look at it, you know, the the Giants, for my money, are maybe the most improved team in that division, not the Pod, not Padres, not the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you, you know, about something you said. But that rotation really is much improved now. Even if Samarja is a three or four starter, well, they might not need him to be more than that because they have Bumgarner and they have Johnny Cueto. Uh, the only thing that makes me not want the Giants to win really is that it's an it's an even year, and I just I can't get another even-year Giants World Series. <laughs> like, I can't put up with it. Well, yeah, they're certainly on, on course for it. I mean, you talk about winning the winter. The, the Padres won the winter last year. We all know that that pretty much means nothing. Right, the White I, Sox, too. <laughs> yeah, the White Sox won the winter last year, too. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned Samarja and Cueto. I think they're both, they're both great fits for AT&T Park. Uh, they're both, I, both, both of them will benefit immensely by the Giants' just overall defensive value, and especially in that infield. Uh, like I said, you can't quantify kind of the X factor that apparently the Giants seem to have have or that they have had in the past, but uh, their, rot- their rotation is, is much improved. Mike Leak, if you look at Mike Leak's departure, uh, I did a thing on the best upgrades of the offseason. So ba- basically saying, well, the Giants lost Mike Leak, but they gained Johnny Cueto. That's an extra win. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an extra a big win deal. in steamer. <laughs> uh, and then... Uh, Samarja after that was about 2.1 wins, and their next lo- their, the next uh, pitcher on the agenda that, that, that lost ground 
that that they that they didn't bring back was Ryan Vogelsong, and that's a, a win and a half. So the the rotation's going to be much better. It's it's such a close race, and that's the reason I wrote the story. It wasn't to actually pick a favorite. It was more so to say, how can you possibly pick a favorite? But I'm going to be the fool that go ahead and goes ahead and does well, it. Remember, all our fancy projections didn't pick the Royals, and then yeah. people say that and they forget that literally nobody picked the Royals. Like, nobody picked the Royals. Uh, I want to go back to something you wrote in July at Sports on Earth. You wrote about what was at the time the 10 hardest hit baseballs of the season. And I'm wondering, was that, was that a tough afternoon for you to have to go through and like watch clips of baseballs just getting destroyed? It was fun. I, a lot, I spent a lot of time <laughs> scrolling on my iPad, just, you know, that, that, that the round ball taking it, taking it just to the right point in the game. Uh, it was actually pretty cool. And some of the things I noticed were most of the hardest hit balls, weren't, they weren't these monster home runs. There were a couple of them. And what, what I did was I kind of had to, we have the Chapman filter oh, yeah. on, uh, on, on for hardest thrown balls. What I did was I had to take... The 10 hardest hit balls by 10 different players, right. which was kind of Not my way of Stanton. saying the Jim Co- Yeah, the Stanton yeah, Stan's filter. injury kind of put in his own Stanton filter. Yeah. He missed half the season. Otherwise, yeah. that's exactly what would happen. But you're right uh, about not all the hardest hit balls are these, these mood shots. And I happen to know this just because I've looked it up a million times. The hardest hit ball of the season was not a home run. It was by Giancarlo Stanton. It was a single. It was 120 yeah. miles an hour through the left side of uh, the Dodgers infield, I think. And it was on a line. Uh, and you're right. So, uh, you know, I'm interested. Obviously, that list would be different if you'd done it now. But when you were, say, evaluating players or evaluating topics, do you, you know, exit velocity is kind of a thing that maybe you use now that obviously wouldn't have used a year ago. Oh, absolutely. And it's it was kind of, it's one of the first things I look at now kind of in projecting next season. I think the coolest thing, the coolest thing when I was doing that project that I noticed was Without fail, all ten of them. I think two of them were two of them resulted in outs, and both of them were really hard hit baseballs. One of them was Carlos Gonzalez hit a rocket to second yeah, base. Yeah, one seventeen. I yeah. actually remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and so basically what happened was every single time the announcer, whoever was calling the game, mentioned, "Wow, it was a hard hit ball," or "What a rope," or whatever. And it's 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 that's that's the cool thing I think about Statcast is it's stuff we can see, but that now we can also quantify. And so. Uh, that was that was fun going through it in the exercise. I think the the other thing is when we're looking at hardest hit baseballs, a lot of them did tend to be singles, and they're just singles that they don't even leave the ground. They don't even they get they right. get maybe four or five feet off the ground, and yet they still end up on the outfield grass. Mike Trout had one of them. Nelson Cruz had another, and they're they're both just rockets through the through the left side. Yeah, we did some research recently and, and tried to compare. Does exit velocity uh, correspond well to production, and you'd think it would, and it does. We used weighted on base average, and there's a, a pretty nice trend line there. And then does exit velocity correspond well to batting average? Uh, and it actually not at all, very little, because what does batting average measure? It doesn't care about extra base hits, mm-hmm. right? And then weighted on exit velocity, of course, you hit it harder, you're mm-hmm. more likely to extra base hits. So it's really been interesting to learn that and kind of see where it comes out in the wash. Um, you know, speaking of guys that hit ball hard, Michael Conforto was on a list you did of five potential breakout hitters. Uh, now, I think you even wrote, because you had Corey Seager, uh, Mookie Betts, who I think you wrote that has already kind of broken out, and I yeah. agree, I'm a huge Mookie Betts fan. Uh, you put in Michael Conforto in there, uh, and as I, I joked to our mutual editor, Matt Myers, who's a Mets fan, did you make AJ put Michael Conforto on that <laughs> list? But no, I actually think he's he's a really interesting player, and he's productive, and when you look at Mets fans freaking out about this winter, saying, where's Cespedes, where's Cespedes? I think what they overlook is they're going to get a full season of Conforto, not just you know the two and a half months he had. I mean, that's actually kind of a better outfield with him than people give the credit for. Oh yeah, and without question, and and obviously, it, it makes sense for Mets fans to kind of freak out a little bit because of what Cespedes meant to them in the second half last season. Uh, but Conforto has all the tools to break out, especially with with the force. You look at the two home runs he hit in the World Series last year; both of them were he crushed. And so, uh, I think the one con- and there's another concern that I, that I wrote about in that list: uh, his his left right splits. Uh, he wasn't very good against left-handers in the major leagues last year, but he was he was 
perfectly fine in the minors. I think he actually hit left-handers a little better. Yeah, and they than didn't he hit really right give him much of a chance in the yeah, they, last year, right? they platooned him every single time. So, and obviously, any young left-hander is probably going to struggle when you face Chris Sale or Clayton Kershaw or whoever else. But, uh, I, I, but he, there's no reason to think he'll be any worse against lefties than say anyone else, than any other left-handed hitter. Um, so I think if you get, you give him a full year and you and and you have to show a little patience early on. The Mets outfield should be just fine. Yeah, I think that's a better team than people give them credit for. Uh, and it's 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 in a division that's pretty nice for them, right? Obviously, the Nationals are good. Two of those teams are not trying to win this year, the Braves and the Phillies. And they look really stacked for maybe two years from now. It's not going to happen this year. The Marlins, coin toss. You know, they have a lot of talent, but a lot of holes. Uh, and that's it's kind of interesting. You look at the National League right now, and there's six teams at least who are not going to be competitive this year. Uh, in the American League, who's the worst team in the American League right now? Baltimore? Is it Minnesota? Tampa, it's hard to say. Every single Oakland team, in there. I don't even exactly. know if you can. I don't, I don't know. Whatever we would settle on, they think they can compete this year. Yeah. Right? And so you've got a couple teams in interesting situations, like the White Sox, the Orioles, uh, and the Tigers, who are decent, but they need more. They need to go for it. Which one of those teams is actually going to get one of these outfielders? Because they all have big holes in the outfield. Yeah, I think the Orioles have to have to get someone. It's better just because that division seems more wide open than any other one, and to the point where if you sign someone like like a Cespedes. All of a sudden, you kind of vault yourself right up to the right, right to the forefront of it. So, and and Baltimore's the thing about Baltimore's outfield, they can sign someone. It's a smaller outfield. Tespedes won't need if, he, if they give him a longer term deal, he won't need to cover as much ground down the road. Uh, plus, they need to do something to re- replace the hole left by Chris Davis if if they don't resign not, him. I mean, their yeah. outfield right now is Adam Jones and you, you yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I've been pushing for uh, for Carlos Gonzalez. I think is a good trade piece there because mm-hmm. you know hits the right field. Justin Upton, I think, has to land in Chicago with the White Sox. I don't think he will necessarily, but it just seems like the most perfect fit for me. And you look at that team. Obviously, they've got really nice like, stars, Chris Sale and, and Abreu, and they got Todd Frazier. And there's still a lot of holes. Uh, you can't imagine that they are done, right? Yeah. No. There's no way the White Sox are done if they, especially if they want to, if they want to be competitive this year, which. They went out and traded for Todd Frazier. I feel like, I mean, I know yeah, he is. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point. Yeah, right? yeah. And I actually did a, 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 an analysis of using Steamer's War, who's the biggest upgrade, and Todd Frazier was number Who's one. Number one. Uh, simply because the White Sox, the White, since Todd Frazier's been in the major leagues, the White Sox have gotten negative 0.5 war from their third baseman in that in those, I want to say, six years. Might, have had, might as well have had a potted plant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, essentially. And so and, and so Todd Frazier, you throw him into the mix, that's a huge upgrade, and and... He had someone like Justin Upton. I, the Royals are obviously the favorite in that division because you have to make them the favorite. Sure. Uh, but we've underestimated but two them. wild cards. And there's, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I had to ask you about one more free agent. Is Howie Kendrick still alive? Because he's a, he's a useful player, and you've heard just about nothing about him all winter. Yeah, and that's that's the interesting thing about uh, the qualifying offers is they kind they tend to do that. I mean, Ian Kennedy and Giovanni Gallardo maybe less so than Kendrick, but they're still useful pieces that have kind of gotten pushed to the back burner because they're because they're tied to this draft pick compensation um kendrick kendrick seems like a perfect fit in arizona i know someone here wrote about that the other day if arizona really wants to be competitive uh they kind of need to round out that infield because right now they have three guys who can play defense that are throwing the ball to paul goldschmidt but haven't proven themselves at the plate and Kendrick's a Kendrick's a clubhouse guy. He can he's he's a veteran. He he's won before. So. Yeah, no, I like I like Jake Lamb more than most, I think, but that's a good fit. I I, I think Kendrick going back to Anaheim seems like perfect. Mm-hmm. Because they, there's that's another team that needs a bat. Obviously, yep. he's comfortable there, wouldn't have to move his family. Uh, AJ Casabell, national reporter for MLB.com. Appreciate your time. Thanks, thanks for being in person with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, thanks. I'll fly back again sometime. All right, anytime. <laughs> Thank you.
Welcome back to the MLB.com StockCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Uh, very excited to have my next guest. Even though he is younger than me, has a better resume than me, and is a professional broadcaster, probably is going to have a better voice than I do, too. Uh, welcome Joe Davis, one of the, new, the newest member of the Los Angeles Dodgers TV team. Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for taking Good. a few minutes. I uh, have to ask, you are the newest member of the Dodgers broadcast team, and there are some big names on that team. Vin Scully, Oral Hershiser, Charlie Steiner, and Omar Garcia-Para. How do you fit into that mix? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, first of all, it's something that I'm still, even two months after the hiring was announced, I'm still, there's times where I kind of pinch myself. I'm still working on wrapping my mind around being part of a broadcast crew that includes those names, you know, iconic broadcasters like Ben Scully, the greatest ever to do it, Charlie Steiner, and, you know, you mentioned Oral and Nomar. For me, uh, Oral was, was doing his thing a little bit before I was a big baseball fan, but it's hard no matter when you grew up not to know about Oral. And for, for me with Nomar, you know, I grew up a Cubs fan, and I remember being on the beach you know, the, the day that the Cubs acquired him before the deadline and how excited I was. And I think I was in junior high at that point and was annoying the heck out of my parents by saying, you know, Noma, saying, saying <laughs> Noma in the, the way that the, the Boston people say it. And now I'm going to be working with a guy. So how I fit in, I, I don't know. I'll just try, I guess, and do my job the best way that I know how to do it. And for me on TV, that means – you know, getting out of the way. And the, the analysts are the stars on TV and, and that people can see what's going on on the screen, so they don't need me to beat them over the head with play-by-play. It's my job to tee those guys up and let the folks at home hear from the real experts. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding here is that you're doing just road games this year, uh, 50 of them. So will you ever even enter Dodger Stadium or, or cross paths with Vince Scully, or are you kind of totally on a separate team here? Yeah, no, I will. I'll spend some time around Dodger Stadium. You know, I'll still be still going to be doing all my stuff for Fox Sports. So I'll have a lot of the time when the Dodgers are at home. I'll be off doing Fox National games on the weekend. But the plan is to be around there as often as I can, and um, you know, be be involved a little bit with the pregame show, maybe on Sportsnet LA, and and just be around. I think it's important that I'm not somebody who. You know, once the team is back home, just disappears. I think it, it'll be important to have a presence, and that's something that I want to have. You know, I want to be out there at the ballpark at Dodger Stadium and um, around Vin, obviously, as much as I can. And uh, already got a chance to meet him back in December at a function at Dodger Stadium. And uh, you know, you, you meet him once, and it's like I, I could spend every day sitting there listening to this guy talk and, and learning from him. So. I'll take advantage of any time that I can to, to be with them and be at the ballpark there in L.A. Yeah, I'm interested to know your approach in trying to get to know the roster because, obviously, you have to know this roster very well. You can't just you know mm-hmm. pop in on a road trip and say, I don't know who this third baseman is. Uh, so <laughs> I'm curious to know, what, what did you know about the roster? I'm sure everybody knows Kershaw and Puig uh, before you the, yeah. took the job. And what's kind of been your approach to, to getting yourself up to speed on this? Yeah, well, ironically, you know, I, I game just about every weekend for Fox, and I didn't have a Dodgers game last year. So... I didn't have the the knowledge that comes from doing a game nationally and kind of learning the big picture of the team. But in doing the national stuff, you kind of got to know about all the teams. So I had a pretty good background and base of of what they were about and you know, strengths and weaknesses and things like that. But but like you mentioned, once you're with the team, it becomes a totally different depth of knowledge that you've got to have. So at this point, you know I'm really starting to dive in now to just spending some time 
each day reading about each guy and looking up old articles. And I'm using a program called OneNote on my computer where you, you punch in whatever notes you want and it, it syncs to your iPad and syncs to your phone and everything. And um, so the plan is to have you know all the notes plugged in there on OneNote and I'll have them accessible on my iPad wherever I'm at, whether that's at the ballpark or wherever I may need those notes. So you know, a big part of it, though, to begin with, Mike, was just trying to learn as much of the history of the organization as I could. Because I think that the Dodgers are more intimately tied to their history. It's, it's as significant a part of the team's fabric as it is with any organization in any sport. So I spent a lot of time reading about the history and you know, just learning all I could about that. But I think there's a point, too, where you have to realize that what is most important is the current team. And I think I flipped that switch around the holidays where I started to shift the focus from burying myself in the history, which again is an ongoing thing. I'll never stop learning about that, but kind of shifting gears and starting to focus on the team that we're going to see on the field this year. Yeah. I'm interested in, uh, you know, your kind of approach to this, because one of the things that comes up in every story about you is your youth. Uh, You just turned 28, I believe, and you're probably Mm -hmm. sick of talking about that. and, And I don't want to harp on it, but, What's interesting for me is that, you know, you kind of came of age in the internet era, right? Like a lot of the other broadcasters are, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. They kind of had to adapt to that. And you you kind of grew up that way. You could always go to baseball reference or read fan graphs or or however much you did. And I wonder, you know, does that kind of color the way you approach using stats and technology in the broadcast maybe differently than some of the more experienced guys? Yeah, I suppose it may. I guess I can only really speak for myself in the way I do it. I can tell you that I've had conversations before with people in the business, like how in the world did anybody do this job before the internet, you know, <laughs> before you could hop online on the baseball reference and the fan graphs, like you mentioned, it, you know, something as simple as looking up a guy's average from the year before the base percentage or, or a bio point or whatever it may be. You know, how, how did you do that 10, 20, 30 years ago? And, you know, obviously beyond 10 years, but, you know, back when Vin started and even in the 80s and early 90s, how were people doing this stuff? So I guess I am spoiled that I came into it, you know, when everything's right at your fingertips. I've never had to go through, um, you know, doing the job without having all that stuff accessible to me. Well, what kind of stats do you value? And uh, certainly you're not going to go into this job and start dropping weighted runs created plus on everybody because you have to keep the audience uh, totally right. understood. But I'm curious when you're looking to say, well, how, how good is this player? Like, where do you start? You know what? The I think the key is to realize how helpful stats like weighted runs created plus and you know, OPS plus and ERA plus are for taking a look at a player and getting a snapshot of where they fall. But then the key is to be able to translate that to something that the viewer and the listener can absorb. So th- those are some of the first things I look at when I'm looking at a player. I love the the stats that compare them to league average, those plus stats. And I'm not going to tell somebody, you know, uh, so-and-so's ERA plus is 98. I'm going to see that myself, understand what that means, and use it to tell somebody he's just below league average. I think that there's a fine line where, you, know, you can you start using too many numbers, and especially numbers that aren't widely recognized categories. It's going to go in one year and out the other. It's basically going to turn into white noise. And I think it's a hard list. People don't want to hear a bunch of numbers, and they certainly don't want to hear a bunch of you know the the newer age numbers that 
aren't as generally accepted yet. But I, I still do. I, I use them a lot when I'm taking a look at teams and learning about players and uh, developing the context to be able to give folks over the year. Yeah, you, you kind of took the words out of my mouth as far as league average goes because you know even I do the mm-hmm. same thing. I don't always say well, weighted runs created plus of 105. I'll say five percent above league average. Yes, uh, and I think that's easier to understand. And that's where I, I kind of think it's interesting. Obviously, this is the Statcast podcast, so I have to ask Statcast question. The difference I think between the the very very new Statcast stats and some of the quote unquote advanced stats is that. It's not something ephemeral like a, like a win above replacement that you can't see. You know, it's measuring. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's measuring an outfielder's arm strength, or it's measuring how hard yeah. the ball came off the bat. Uh, I think that might actually be a little easier to say. Well, that that you know, Puig home run came off the bat at 98 miles an hour, or whatever the case may be. I mean, I think that's probably mm-hmm. easier for people to grasp onto. Yeah, and you know what, Mike? I think that even for me, though, like 98 miles per hour. Okay, so that sounds fast, but where does that fall? I think when we get 10 and 15 and 50 years down the line and we have all the years of context to compare that 98 mile per hour home run that you referenced to you know we're going to be able to say well whatever it may be is the you know the hardest hit ball in postseason history or you know at least since they've been tracking it when we're looking 25 years down the road or or whatever the, the distance is from now it's just right now it's so early in the stat cast data that it's hard to give too much context to it now you can obviously do the things like it's easy to give context when you say this year that's you know he, he hits um, he has the most balls over, hit over 100 miles per hour you know that that's something you can wrap your mind around but right now there's just not enough context quite yet I think where you can throw out a number arbitrarily like that without surrounding it with something more yeah so I, I, I think you're right i mean we look at yeah. for example uh john carlos stanton has been on top of all the, yes. the leaderboards and i think uh, probably that he's going to be quote-unquote historic like 10 years from now he'll yeah. still because uh, i can't imagine anybody doing this more but you're right we don't know yet maybe he's just the leader this year five years from now we've got somebody else um mm-hmm. there's something else i wanted to ask you about you've probably been noticing that dodger fans are not thrilled with the winter so far uh, they feel yeah. like the team's taken a big step back. And on the other hand, it still seems like a very talented team. Curious uh, your take on, on the team you're about to start seeing this year. Yeah, well, a different personality. Anytime that you you lose a guy like Zach Granke, I think everybody acknowledged that you know they're, they're not going to be the same team without him. It's going to be different. I think that what they've done, instead of trying to find a guy who you know is going to step in and replace him, which is not realistic, you got the ERA later in baseball, and a you know, guy's been as valuable as any over the last few years. You're not just going to trade up, replace the guy, you know, unless you pull off a giant deal for Jose Fernandez or something like that, where you're going to have to get rid of all these pieces that you've spent the last few years stockpiling. They've taken a different approach, clearly, which is building depth. You, know, you can never have enough starting pitching. And bottom line, you know they're going to count on some guys to stay healthy. They're going to count on some guys to stay healthy that haven't historically. You know, guys like Hunjin Ryu, who's coming off of shoulder surgery, hasn't pitched in two years. Brandon McCarthy coming back midsummer off of the elbow surgery. You know, there's there's a lot of pieces that you kind of you that have question marks because of the injury history, but there are a lot of potentially good pieces. So you're looking specifically at the starting rotation when you're talking about that. Lineup wise, they've not done anything significant. You know, some some re signings of guys like Chase Utley and AJ Ellis. But I think you're counting on a few guys in particular to do what they've shown they can do. Jack Peterson to do what he was doing early on 
in his rookie year. He asked Monty Grandall to do what he was doing before he started dealing with his shoulder injury. You know, so there's there's a couple, and obviously Puig, the elephant in the room, right? Can he be what he was a few years ago? If you get those guys, even two of the three, to produce how they've shown they can produce at the major league level, I think it's a really good lineup. Well, Joe, you've, you've passed the test. You've clearly been paying attention to the team, so <laughs> good work on that. Well, I said, final question for you. Uh, Joe Davis, newest member of the Dodgers broadcast team. I have read that you've taken your father with you to a lot of your broadcasting jobs, and he's been up in the booth as your spotter. Can we be looking forward to, to Mr. Davis on some of these Midwest road trips? That would be a blast to have him with me for baseball. I'd love to have him come you know, on some of the trips just for the heck of it, to have him tag along and, and see the big league experience. He actually works, I don't like saying works for me. He works for Fox, we'll say that, as my spotter on football games. So whether it's college football or NFL, he is in the booth with me, and Fox pays him well to stand in there and point at my roster chart, at my spotting boards, to the guys that make the tackles, the penalties on, you know, ID, a bunch of different things. Football is really the only sport that calls for that just because of the dynamic, all the guys moving around and so many guys on the field at once. You don't really need a spotter in baseball for obvious reasons of you know, guys being in fixed positions and coming up in a fixed order. But, yeah, I bet I bet he'll make a trip or two with me once I get settled in and get my own footing. I'd love to have him come along. That <laughs> sounds like a good deal. Uh, Joe Davis, follow him at Joe underscore Davis. Listen to him on 50 games this year for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Joe, really appreciate your time. Mike, good to talk to you. Thanks so much to my guests, AJ Casabell of MLB.com, Joe Davis of the Dodgers. I am your host, Mike Petriello. Catch you next week.